Well, good morning. Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. If you are new here, I want to welcome you. If you are family and been back in a while, I just want to say it's great to have you with us this morning. Hey, uh, we are in uh, week three of our series, The Good Work, <clears throat> because changing the world is what Jesus died for. Uh, and this is a series really looking at what it means after you've come to faith in Christ, when you, when you walk into a relationship with Jesus, there's more that he has for you than just living your life with a Christian t-shirt on. There, there is a whole uh, vision and plan and future that he has for you and the specific things that he has uniquely wired and designed you uh, to do. And so that's what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've kind of hung it on this verse uh, out of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says this. <clears throat> For we are God's handiwork, created, I feel it, I feel him. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work. So what it's basically saying is here, you are uniquely wired and uniquely designed in a way that no one else is. You alone have a certain abilities and certain skills that God has given you that he hasn't given anybody else. Um, and he has prepared those in advance for you to do. So, so often we spend so much of our time trying to figure out what our vision is and our purpose and where we're going. And God's up there in heaven saying, I already know. If you'd come to me, I'd, I'd give it to you. And we said in week one, how you begin to discover some of those things or the things that burden your heart or the things that um, maybe you feel passionate about are pretty good indicators for the things that God may call you to do. And there's specific spheres. Maybe he's called you to influence education. Maybe he's called you uh, to work with foster care to work with troubled kids. I, I don't know what the specific sphere is for you, but we said they will always have people at its center. God's vision for your life will always have people's souls at the very center of what it does. So even if you work in a field that doesn't directly deal with people, you still have a calling in how you handle maybe your business or whatever that you would make people your priority. So that was week one uh, that we looked at. Week two said, if you're going to do anything for the kingdom of God, if you're going to ever make headway against the kingdom of darkness for the kingdom of God, expect adversity. Don't be surprised when you wake up on Sunday morning feeling worse than you do every other day. Why? Because we're pushing back against the kingdom of darkness. And so um, what happens often is we start to head down this road of obeying Jesus, and then it gets tough. And then there's persecution, or then there's accusations against us. So there's all these different tactics of the enemy, like we talked about last week. And there's, there's not this open door that we think of often, where if, if it's God's will, it'll be easy. No, if it's God's will, it means that the enemy is going to try to stop it. And so we, let, we ended last week by basically asking the question, where's your line? When you're obeying Jesus, and you come to the point, and you hit that bump of, no, that costs me too much, Will we, in allegiance to Jesus, move that line, or does something else claim the ultimate allegiance of our heart, be it our comfort, be it our family, be it our status? What is it that says, no, Jesus, you've asked too much? And the question was begged, would we move that line as we looked at Jesus, who, who had no line, who, who went to the very grave for you? And so that was the end of week to. All of these lessons have been coming out of the ancient text in um, the book of Nehemiah. It is written about an ancient people. Um, it's memoirs of a man who had a burden and a vision to bring about great change for the ancient nation of Israel that had been destroyed after God um, basically handed them over the penalty for their sin. And so what we're going to look at today is as they begin to rebuild the wall, and they're actually doing the work now of rebuilding the wall, there's some incredible lessons for us in there as to who is actually uh, involved in rebuilding this wall. Because when you think about um, a project like this, so basically the walls of Jerusalem that they're rebuilding were about 22 feet wide and about 25 feet high. Okay, So it's 
It's pretty lengthy. It's 4.5 miles long, and there's 11 different gates all throughout the city. So if you go down this road and you continue into New York State and you come to the Dick's Sporting Goods Warehouse there, that giant monstrosity, you'll see a lot of fence. So in an interim season of my life, I built fences for a living, and I built the fence around that entire property. It's over three miles of fence. Now, I'll tell you, about a mile and a half, I thought my life was over. Like, I thought I would never get to the end. And if you've ever built chain link fence, um, every 10 inches, you have to put these ties on. And they're like these really kind of annoying little clips that you have to put in, and you have to like hand tighten both of them every 10 inches for three miles. And partway through there, I thought, is this purgatory? Like, I don't even believe in purgatory, but this is what it feels like. So I had machines, I had concrete, and I had skilled workers, and it still felt endless. Nehemiah and his crew didn't have any of those things. They had donkeys and levers and a bunch of unskilled uh, people. So we're going to look at some text that's probably the most riveting passages you've ever read in the Bible. Um, Not true. They might put you to sleep, and you'd probably skip them most often. However, in this text, there's some really important information for you as you consider the things that God has called you to do, and where is our heart attitude at it when God asks us to do something. If you open up your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 3, we'll start there. Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1 says this, Eliashab the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the tower of the hundred, which they dedicated as far as the tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to him. Now, as you read through this, um, if you're not too familiar with the ancient structure and, and where everything was placed, the men of Jericho would have come from over 18 miles away. Now, um, the road wasn't just an easy road. If you know the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, the dangerous road where the Samaritan or the individual is hurt and everybody runs by him, well, it was on that same road. It's an incredibly steep, incredibly hot and dangerous hike. It would have taken over 10 hours to get there. Now, when you read this, it's easy just to brush by this, but if you pause a second and you go, here's some guys who are never, ever, ever, ever going to live in Jerusalem. They're never going to be inside this city. They're never going to benefit at all from being in Jerusalem or even helping Jerusalem, and yet they risked their lives to hike 10 hours through the hot desert to fight opposition for their neighbors, and they'd never get any return from it for themselves ever. That strikes me. Because I don't know about you, but I haven't walked 10 hours to help anybody recently. Now, I help people, but again, there's this limit. And I'm struck by these guys because often what I hear in service, and probably is true in my own heart from time to time, is that we'll do things if there's something in it for us. Well, you know, that ministry just doesn't really fill me up. Like, it's just, it's just an act of duty. It doesn't really fill me up. Well, I'm sure it didn't fill the men of Jericho up. <laughs> Well, what, what's in it for me? You know, we don't ask that question outright, but the question behind it sometimes is, okay, I'll help you, but I need some return off that. These men just said, no, 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 I'll serve. There's absolutely nothing in this for me. Only you gain from this. And I think what you see in there is just this beautiful servant's heart that says, whatever they need is, I'll do it. It's awful, and it's no fun, but sometimes things just have to be done. Right? Well, let's keep reading in verse... Um, Three here. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of 
Hassanah, they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts in place. Merimuth, son of Uriah, and the son of Hekaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshumalim, son of Barakiah, the son of Meshumalim, yeah, we're just going to skip that one, made repairs. Next to him, Zadok, son of Ba'an, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. Now, if you can bear through me butchering all of those names, you see something incredibly interesting here in verse 5. So you got everybody's in, right? People who are coming from miles and miles and miles away to help. But here's these group of nobles that they call them, or their leaders, or their important people of position who looked at everybody working and said, nah, I'm too good for that. <laughs> nah, I, I just think that need is supposed to be met by somebody else. I really don't think that's for me anymore. And what you see is just this pride that basically says, my position and my power have excluded me from needing to be a servant, my position and my influence tell me I don't have to do that level of service anymore. I don't, I don't need to do that. That's for those people. And how often in, in uh, conversations have you heard somebody say, yeah, I see this need. Wouldn't it be great if someone met that need? <laughs> what is that? That's not really for me. That's for somebody else. The parking lot? Serving out there? It rains on them all the time. Wouldn't it be great if there was more parking lot guys? Wouldn't it be great if someone else cleaned the toilet, right? Like there's just this that happens all the time, but there's this thing about leadership, and Andy Stanley has this quote that kind of captures it for us. He's a pastor and author. He says this, if you, consider, if you consider yourself too important to be under, you're probably too immature to be over. If you consider yourself too important to follow, you're probably too immature to lead. What he's saying here is if there's ever a point in our life where we think we've outgrown service, where we think we've outgrown meeting people's needs, it, we, we've, we've broken into a layer of immaturity that, that shows up. We've broken into not understanding that leadership is servanthood. Leadership isn't entitlement, it's servanthood. And so what you're going to see actually in contrast to this in verse 14 is something beautiful. Let's jump to the next verse here. The dung gate was repaired by, we'll skip his name, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakaram, and he rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in its place. So in total contrast to these nobles who wouldn't work over there, you got the nobles building the dung gate. I don't know what that means. I'm going to let your middle school imagination run wild with what that means, okay? But, but what I see is this incredible contrast between men whose position thought, they thought excluded them from service and men who were willing to do probably the, the crummiest job on site. And both of them held the same exact position and authority. They were both leaders and rulers in their areas. One of them saw it as an opportunity to lead their people through service. One of them saw it as an opportunity to exclude themselves from service. Now, as I hear this, I, I'm challenged myself as a leader, but I'm sure you in your particular spheres or in your home ha always have opportunities to serve in ways that you don't want to serve. Always have opportunities to, to get under and, and help people. One of the interesting things about the structure of our church here in Bridgewater and all of our campuses is that there's people who should be over who have, in submission to Christ, decided to be under. So there's people who serve here, serve under some of our leaders who are way smarter than some of our leaders, make way more money than some of our leaders, and sit in much higher positions than some of our leaders, and yet they choose to be under and to put their shoulder to the work. Like everybody on the Halstead leadership team, with the exception of David, is older than me. So, so everybody I lead is older than me. I, I think most of them probably make more money than me. 
A bunch of them are way smarter than me. And yet, because of their maturity, I've decided to put their shoulder to the plow with me. And that doesn't always happen in, in the world. And I think it's one of the distinctions of Christian circles is that there's no need for anybody to be up. Because we're all recognizing that the kingdom of God that we're working for only has one person who ever gets credit. There's only one person who ever gets credit. When we take ground for the kingdom of God, it's not me, it's not you, it's Jesus. And so it doesn't matter if I'm rebuilding the dung gate or if I'm over there telling everybody what to do. It just doesn't matter. Why? Because I don't get any more glory because Jesus gets it all. And if... We can enter into the spheres that God has called us to influence with that perspective and say, you know what? I'll do whatever it takes to make the mission go forward. Do you know how much ground we would begin to take? Now, why am I making a big deal out of this? Because it's what our Savior modeled for us. There was no line for Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't come to the earth and foster a few kids, or he didn't come to the earth and just... Um, serve over here and say, you know what, I'm done for a season. Here's what was said about our Savior. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, like the rulers that we looked at earlier. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. His position did not exclude him from service. And so I want to make this a humbling moment for myself. As my wife and I were getting into foster care, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, just our, our pull to foster care. This was probably two years ago. I, I started just arguing with the Lord a little bit, um, like I do sometimes. And I said, all right, God, um, you know, I give and give and give to people all day long. Like sun up to sundown, I'm giving to people. It's just what you've called me to do. You know, I'm an introvert, so you know I need your grace for that. Do you really want me to give all day at home too? <laughs> Like, do you really want me to have no space? I mean, if you want, God, I have about 10 people whose names I could give you. If you want to get a pen and paper, I'll give you their names, and I'm sure they have more free time than I do. And I just began to argue with God, and I sat there, and I lost the argument, and uh, God changed my heart, and it was probably like three weeks ago. My wife and I were talking, and she said, you know, I was thinking about our initial pushback to obeying Jesus in this particular area. She said, the only thing that was getting in the way of us obeying Jesus was our selfishness. And I said, baby, can you stop preaching right now? Like, that hurts a little too much. Can you just... But I just sat with it, and I said, how right is that? The only thing getting in the way of me and my yes to Jesus was selfishness. But that's not what I see exhibited here. And so whatever it is that Jesus calls us to, it's never more than he did for us. Whatever sacrifice he calls us to make, it influences fear, to go share the gospel with our neighbor, to, to possibly be humiliated by doing that, whatever it is, the line so far out there, we'll never get there. And so all I have here is simply a response to the Savior who already changed my life. I think at times we can allow positions or qualifications or the fact that we've done something for so many years and now it's somebody, somebody else's turn to disqualify us or to remove us from the runnings for what God has for us. So some of us maybe battle with being over a particular need, but that's not true of all of us. In fact, there's a whole other group of people that we're going to see in a second here who had every right to think that they were too underqualified to do what God had for them. So you know who built the wall? I don't know if you saw in any of those verses, but, but here's who actually built the wall. A bunch of priests. And you all know pastors only work one day a week. So I'm sure they had to get a whole bunch of work out of them that one day, all right? 
a bunch of perfume makers, all right? I don't know if you know any perfume makers, but probably don't have real calloused hands, probably aren't ready to build some stones. Uh, there's this guy, Shalem, who was kind of known as this big brute of a guy, and they said he was coming, he was bringing people with him, and turns out he only had daughters, and so he brought all of his daughters with him, and that, that's great, and goldsmiths and merchant. Not a single skilled worker was mentioned in the list. There was no carpenters, there was no masons, there was no engineers, there were, none of them were listed in here. The people who built the wall were not the people who were the most skilled, the most qualified, the most incredible. The people who built the wall were us. They were just people who said, you know what, I might not be qualified, but this is a calling and this is what God is doing, I'm in. You see, God uses the willing, not the qualified. God uses the willing, not the qualified. See, we live in a world that seeks the specialist. We seek the person who's fantastic at it. And, and I hear all the time, well, I could never do that. I'm not as good as them. And well, sure, they had seven, eight years of experience and a whole bunch of college, but that's not what God looks at. God's not interested in our worldly uh, qualifications because what we've seen time and time again is worldly qualifications without a right heart leads to destruction. You've seen tons of incredibly qualified people who uh, began to shift their heart out of a willing spirit with God and began to think something better of themselves and just began to be removed from what God was doing. And so here's a bunch of people who said, we'll do it. We're terrible at it, but we'll give our best effort. And if you uh, go through history, what you find is the wall was actually really poorly constructed. <laughs> it didn't last super long before the next siege came. Uh, but is, was that what was important to Nehemiah? Like, does the book of the end of Nehemiah end with, we did a really terrible job and so God was really mad at us? No, they began to rejoice because even though they weren't the best at it, God did great things through them. So in, in, in your life and the things that God is calling you to do, where are you? Are, are you feeling maybe above that service or are you feeling uh, beneath that service? The, the difficulty in following Jesus is thinking rightly uh, of our, following Jesus in these things is thinking rightly of ourselves and rightly of God. It's not about thinking too much or too little of ourselves. It's about thinking rightly of God and then in response, rightly of who we are. See, Jesus, or Jesus did it too, but God, all throughout the Old Testament, picked a whole bunch of nobodies. When he called Moses, what was Moses' reply? Not me. <laughs> Wrong guy, underqualified over here. I can't talk, I can't speak. Pick somebody else. I just can't do it. When he called Gideon to lead the army, where was Gideon? Hiding in the corner, buried in fear. Now you want him to lead the army? Yeah. What about Saul? When God called Saul to lead the whole nation of Israel, where was he? Hiding in the luggage. Because he knew what was coming and he felt under qualified. Time and time again, you see this to be true. When Jesus called the disciples, if you look through who the disciples are, um, if you were building an all-star world-changing team, these guys wouldn't even gotten an honorable mention, right? They wouldn't have even made the short list. Like, they're not even close, and yet Jesus picked them. And after spending all of this time with them, they began to really turn the world upside down. Acts tells us that they were literally turning the world upside down. But here's what was said about these men. They, they got on trial because they were changing the world too much. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, this phrase, unschooled, ordinary men, can roughly be translated idiots. I kid you not. That is the rough translation of these words, idiots. 
When they saw that Peter and John were idiots, they were astonished because they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And I, I take great comfort in this passage personally. <laughs> when they saw that Matt was an idiot, but Jesus was doing stuff, I go, oh, okay, good. I'm in. All right. We're clear. What if you began to see past yourself? What you're good at, what you're not good at, what you're afraid of, and just forgot it. What if you were so entrenched in Jesus? If the Holy Spirit was so strongly moving in your life that if he said, go walk across the street and share the gospel to that person, you wouldn't even object. Because you go, all right, I don't, I'm not fantastic at this. right? You don't have to be a professional gospel sharer. You just need to believe in the love of Christ and know the truth to share. And, and what if every time Jesus asked you to do something, you didn't even think about yourself once. All you did was go, okay, God, you're with me, and I'm going. I have these thoughts for you. See, courage, it doesn't take an education. You don't need an education to be brave with the gospel. A servant's heart doesn't require a degree. There's no qualification to be a, a servant, and willingness doesn't belong to the privileged. The three things that are going to be called of us as we push back on darkness and follow Jesus into the spheres aren't for the qualified. They're for those who look at their Savior and go, I think I could do that because he's with me. Now, here's what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that Jesus doesn't deserve our best. What I'm not saying is that Jesus isn't worthy of excellence. What I'm not saying is that Jesus isn't worthy of our absolute to the max effort. And in fact, there are some things and some certain qualifications you need. You see, a willing heart also implies an obedient heart. A willing heart also implies a, a pure heart, that I'm willing to follow God because God wants us to walk in confession and repentance. And so there, there are some disqualifications in there being sin. What I am saying, though, is that our current abilities are not a limitation on what God can do through you. Our current abilities are not a limitation on what God can do through you. What can get in the way and has gotten in the way for many people is the disqualification of sin, in which we don't walk in confessions and repentance. And, and what's sad is that it doesn't even mean that God's done with you. And I think people think when sin comes into their life that, that God's done with us. No, 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 he's not done with you. He wants you to walk through a season of confession and repentance. But probably what will be true of your life, if I know anything about the Lord, is he's going to use your brokenness as his new platform. Maybe you walk through a, an addiction or, or a habit or a, a season of anger or whatever it is, and you think, well, that disqualifies me. Maybe it disqualifies you for something, but it doesn't disqualify you to be a willing vessel for what God might do through. It just means you're probably going to have to be a little transparent about that brokenness and begin to use that, which is why I've never claimed to be a perfect pastor up here. I've claimed to be somebody who's walked in brokenness, met Jesus, and transformed, and I, I declared to God when I got into ministry, God, use it. Use the brokenness, and that is a different level of willingness that some won't enter into. Because it, it means that I'm not as great as I think I am, but I know the one who is. As we close up, I want to read a passage out of 1 Corinthians that, that kind of summarizes everything we've been saying this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, Brothers and sisters, think not of what you were, or think of what you were when you were called. Right? So, so basically what he's saying here is, consider your brokenness. 
whether it was anger, whether it was an addiction, whether it was bitterness, whether it was unforgiveness, wherever you were before Jesus found you, think of those things. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Remember, 99% of us don't meet the qualifications. Verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. What does he say? That we are the foolish things. We are the weak things. We are the lowly things. We are the despised things. We. See, when God looked at you and he looked at me, he didn't pick you because of your qualifications. He picked you despite your qualifications. He picked you you despite your sin, in spite of those, and said, I'm going to choose that one because through that broken vessel, I'm going to look really, really good. Through that weak individual who is dependent and needy upon me, I will get much glory out of them. And so he chose us to be his mouthpieces. And if that's true, then it means it's not about me at all. And so when God calls me to step into foster care, it's not about me at all. It's about what God can do through me. When God calls me to walk up on stage, it's not about me. It's about what God can do through me. When God calls you to step into that school district and you don't know what you're doing in there or what in the world, when God shows up and does that, it's not about you. It's about him through you. Verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He says, in Christ, you have everything that you need. You see, our willing submission to Jesus empowers us with everything we need to obey Jesus. Our willing submission to Jesus empowers us with every qualification we need to accomplish all that God has for us. He is our forgiveness. He is our righteousness. He is our holiness. He is our redemption. You need nothing else but Jesus. And if you'll submit to him through the Holy Spirit, you'll have everything you need to walk across that street and share the gospel, to step into that sphere, to step into the workplace with Christ. And here's the end result of everything. Verse 31. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. (laughs) The end of the day, when the walls rebuilt, one person alone gets glory. And we rejoice that it's not us, but someone greater. So the question that remains for us at the end of this conversation is, are you willing? Are you willing? Whatever Jesus asks of you, does Jesus have your yes? And I don't know what it is for you, and I got some ideas of some things you could do, But does Jesus have your yes? Because we all have a wall to rebuild. It's this community. It's the community you live in. The streets that are filled with people who don't know Jesus. The next door neighbor who's literally on their way to hell apart from the saving grace of Jesus. Now, I, I don't care about a physical wall, but I care about that. And the question is, will we get out of the way and say, God, whatever you ask of me on this street, whatever you ask of me in my school, whatever you ask of me in my job place, I'm willing. I'm unqualified, but I'm willing. And what if a whole bunch of us started saying yes 
whatever it takes, God. You know what would happen? We'd turn this town upside down. We'd turn your town upside down. We'd turn the world upside down, and a bunch of people would come back and go, these people did that? (laughs) Yeah, but we'd been with Jesus, and Jesus changes everything. Now, it would take a miracle, but I happen to know somebody who likes to do miracles. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thanks for choosing us, Lord. Thanks for calling us to yourself, God. And, and sometimes I wonder why you pick me and why you chose me, but God, it's not about me. It's about you. Every day, Lord, we have opportunities to serve people all around us, to serve people in our towns, in our homes, uh, in our workplaces. God, I, I pray that what would be true of us this morning is that we are so committed to you that saying yes to the things you call us to is just a natural step. Lord, I thank you for the example you set of going to the cross that your act of service had no end. Lord, I pray in our hearts that there would be uh, humility and right thinking simultaneously, that we would never think too highly of ourselves or too little of ourselves, but we would think rightly of you and in response rightly of ourselves. Lord, I'm sure there will be many opportunities put in front of each person listening this morning, uh, this week. I pray that you would give them the courage and the servant's heart to do whatever it is that you're calling them to do. If there's something already stirring on their heart, Lord, move us forward in following you because we want to see lives change. We want to see more and better disciples because you are worthy of the praise of every human that has ever lived. And we want to be a part of giving you that glory. Praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.